Today we are in the final episode of a message series called Different. We're looking at high points from the letter called 1 Peter. And as you look at the way Peter wrote, you can see that he was intentionally very, very direct. He said this over and over again, just to make sure you didn't miss it. This world is not your home. And if you are in earnest pursuit of Jesus, you were called to be set apart. You were called to be different. You were called to be holy. And today I want to bring to you what I believe is very possibly the most encouraging message that you didn't want to hear. Think that's possible? Well, who doesn't love promises from God, right? Well, Jesus, he promised us several different things. But let me show you first what he did not promise us. Jesus never promised us that everybody would be rich. Jesus never promised us that it would not rain on your vacation, Jesus never promised us that you would not get your heart broken by someone you're dating. And Jesus never promised us that your plumbing would not back up. And my home has been a personal testimony of plumbing complications from right after the quarantine began. Jesus never promised us a lot of things, but he did promise us this. If you are a faithful follower of Christ, if you are set apart, if you are different, Jesus promised us that the world would hate us and the world would want to persecute us. And that's why I'd like to welcome you to Into One Community Church Online today, a place where, where we're here to make you feel good about yourself. Most encouraging message that you thought you'd never want to hear. Today I want to talk about a different perspective in persecution. So let's get things clear right from the beginning and hear from Jesus right off the top. Gospel of John, chapter 15, starting at verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. And then verse 20. If they persecuted me, Jesus said, they will persecute you also. So just in case you weren't here in previous weeks, and have not had time to catch up on those through YouTube or through into1.ca, I want to catch you up a little bit and give you a little background on the context of the letter called 1 Peter. So Peter was writing this letter to a group of first century Gentile or non-Jewish Christians during a time of extreme persecution. They were being horribly tortured under a very evil emperor named Nero. Just so you get a feel for him, among other things, Nero killed his mom. You know, he might have even been against apple pie. I can't confirm that. Now, you may have wanted to throw your mama from the train at one point in your life, but I hope you never did. But if you have done that, just go ahead and comment with that in the chat feed, and we'll get you taken care of right away. It, it just seems like you couldn't do anything worse than killing your own mama. He also killed his first wife, so Octavius, and many other historians believe that he probably killed his second wife too. He was evil beyond measure. This guy had an insatiable lust to build. And when the Senate wouldn't let him tear down parts of Rome to rebuild, most historians believe he burned it. He set fire to Rome. And it was this massive fire that burned for days and days, and then when it was out, sparked again and burned and burned some more. And then with the city sitting there smoldering, smoking, he blamed first century Christians, pointing the finger at them saying that they set the fire to Rome. And so these already persecuted Jesus followers, they then faced extraordinary persecution under this very, very evil man. 
So you fast forward to today, and it really depends on what part of the world that you live in. There are a great many places in the world where persecution is extreme. So for those who are not tuning in from North America, the persecution may not be as extreme, but it is very, very real and growing. At any given time in the world today, there is an extraordinary Christian persecution. It can be argued that the persecution is at its worst level today in the history of the world. And almost every article that you'll read says that in the last decade has represented the worst decade in the history of Christianity for worldwide persecution. And the statistics are frankly staggering. In an average month, over 300 Christians are killed for following Jesus. On an average month, over 200 churches would be burned or completely destroyed. In an average 30-day period, there's upwards of 800 followers of Christ who will be beaten, tortured, raped, or imprisoned for following their faith. And in some parts of the world, you may lose a family member. In another part of the world, you might lose a job. In some parts of the world, you may be beaten. In other parts of the world, you might not get invited to parties because of your faith. And all of it's persecution, all at different levels. And Jesus said, if you follow me, the world will hate you. And you will be persecuted. And that's why today, this will be for many of you, the most encouraging message that you never ever wanted to hear. So let's dive into 1 Peter and look at what he said. Peter said a lot about this subject, and I pray that it would speak to someone today inspire you in your faith and encourage you to live ever more boldly for the one who gave his life for you. 1 Peter 4, 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. He's telling these people who are hurting, don't be shocked, don't be surprised that if you're living boldly for Jesus that you would face opposition. If you are living boldly, if you're set apart, if you're different, don't be shocked when you're criticized, when you're ridiculed, when your opinions are disregarded as if they don't even seem worthy of consideration, or when you face spiritual opposition. Many of you would say, well, uh, you, you know, I can't really think of a time that I ever really did face opposition for my faith. And we'll start there. And maybe try to understand potentially why that might be. Imagine that I'm in team competitive archery. I know it's one of those sports that you are really missing being played out professionally right now. But imagine that you are my opponent. And let's just say you're on the field shooting, okay? And I'm on the bench. Ah, the bench. The bench is so comfy. And I'm not even watching the match, okay? Instead, I've got a water bottle, and I'm water bottle flipping, right? I'm flipping for the record, flipping like a boss. But I look good doing my bottle flipping. And you know what? Someone's going to need a quick boomerang video of me water bottle flipping. So let's get that awesome selfie vid clip. Maybe toss a filter on that. Boom! Game time. Let's send that sweet little video out to my faithful followers on Instagram. They just need me to check in, right? And I'm not paying any attention to the tournament. None at all. If you're my opponent, are you concerned about me impacting this match at all? All the coaches that are listening right now, putting their hands out right now, and they're saying stuff like, tell me about it. Or, right? That kid playing second base, 
He's filling his glove with sand. The little girl playing soccer in the backfield is picking pretty flowers. And the answer is not a bit. Not worried about them at all. But if, on the other hand, let's just say that I'm a really good archer and I'm not water bottle flipping and I'm not taking selfies. Instead, I am zoned in. I have tested and checked all of my properly maintained equipment and you can see the relaxed, focused concentration in my calm Robin Hood-like gaze. If you are the enemy, are you then concerned about me? And the answer is yes, you are. And you're going to do anything you can to stop me. And the same is true when it comes to spiritual things. If you're on the kingdom team, you believe in God, but you're riding the pine, you're sitting on the bench. In, in other words, you've got on the jersey, but, but you're not in the game, right? I mean, you'll, you'll come to church every now and then because, well, you've got to do that when you're on the team. You'll show up to the game, but you're not engaged. You're not, you're not praying for miracles. You're not asking God to do something and, and, and interceding on behalf of others and tapping boldly into the power of God, going before his throne of grace, believing that he would help people in their time of need. And you've got gifts. You've got talents. But you're not using them to further the kingdom. You're waiting for that magic day when someone will come up to you and beg you to help them just for a minute. You could make a difference. And you know it. But you let somebody else play. You know what? Somebody else will do it, right? They've all got nothing but time. So you're not trusting God with your finances. You're not giving generously. You may leave God a tip every now and again, but you're not strategically, prayerfully asking, how can I use what God has given me? How will I work in partnership with God and use my time, my treasure, and talents to influence others and to be generous and to make a difference in the world? I mean, you believe in Jesus but you're not representing him boldly. Well, you'll admit to attending church if pressed, but you never invited anyone to join you at church. But now with Church Online, it is so easy to do. You can invite people just with a click of a button. But maybe you're not into sharing your faith. You know what? Because that's a personal thing. You got the jersey on, but you're not in the game. The same is true in that example that your enemy takes no notice of you. The moment you engage, though, you have a spiritual enemy who takes notice and you will face opposition and the most encouraging message you didn't want to hear. Imagine a warrior, soldier in battle, going into war and coming back to his commanding officer going, Sir, sir, they're shooting at me. I had no idea that this was going to happen. What's the officer going to say? Uh, what did you expect, soldier? We're at war! We have to understand, Christianity is not a playground. It is a battleground. We are at war against the forces of darkness. And we are in a very real spiritual battle. And when you engage in the battle, you will face opposition. And if you've never, ever faced any sense of real spiritual opposition, maybe it's because you're not on the front lines. Maybe you're not engaging in the battle in the way that God would want you to. And that's why Peter said, hey, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're facing. And now when Peter said fiery trials, it's very likely that he was actually being literal. 
Because among other things, Nero would take animal skins. So like cut up a dead animal, put the animal skins around a Christian, and then put them into a cage and release wild dogs to attack and maul them to death. And he would sit there watching his entertainment. But for the fiery part, very likely Peter was referring to when Nero would take Christians and dip them in hot wax and then put them onto a tree out in his courtyard and light them on fire, essentially making them human candles. And he would light the night sky as he would entertain his guests with suffering and dying Christians. And that's who Peter is talking to. And he says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that you're facing. As if something strange were happening to you today. So if Peter were writing this message in, in, in this year, he probably would have adjusted the language. Perhaps if he's writing to someone in the Middle East, he might say, hey, don't be surprised if you lose a loved one because of their faith in Christ. And if he was writing to a new Christian, maybe in a predominantly Muslim country, he might say, don't be surprised if your family turns on you and you faced extraordinary danger because of your faith in Christ. Maybe if he was talking to a freshman girl in university, he might say, hey, don't be surprised if you don't get a second date because you have a stance on purity. If he was speaking to you, he might say, don't be surprised if people make fun of you because you're following Jesus and you're engaged in the church. Do not be surprised, Peter said, at the fiery trial that you're facing. Because you're in the game. You're on the front lines. You're making a difference and you're rattling the forces of darkness. Don't be surprised if you face opposition. And then he says this. Again, the most encouraging message that you didn't want to hear. Verse 13. Instead, be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. Now, is that different or what? Be glad, be thankful when you're persecuted for your faith. You'll be partners with Christ. And he continues, you'll be partners with Christ so that you will have this wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. Why is it that so many of us would, would say, well, I've never really experienced anything like this? I don't think it's necessarily your fault. I think that culture is so convincing, so convincing that the most important thing for many of us is the pursuit of comfort. So let me confess again, okay? I'll be honest. I would rather have a comfortable conversation with you than one full of confrontation. I would rather have a nice, easy day than one that's filled with pain. Comfort is something that we all are so often willing to pursue at all costs, even in the name of Jesus. And so we pray, God, help me to have a good day today. God, I pray, bless us and keep us safe. Don't let anything happen to us. No bad things, please. God, watch over us today. Bless this food, God. Help our kids, protect us, keep us comfortable, make me wealthy, give us traveling mercies. And essentially what we want is to avoid conflict at all costs. So let, let's dodge any opposition, and so therefore we're going to take the path of least resistance. How does that play out? So maybe, maybe you're at a party, and you're feeling pressure to do something that's outside of your comfort zone. You know you shouldn't do it. Why? Why do you feel that pressure? Because you don't want anybody to make fun of you. And so you say, it's not that big of a deal, and so you're just going to kind of go and fit in. 
Maybe it is that you don't want to correct someone when they start off telling racist or sexist jokes. And you know it's wrong. I mean, you know it's wrong, but you don't want anybody around you to be uncomfortable. And so you don't say anything. Maybe it's if someone asks you, are you a Christian? And you'll say, yeah, yes. But you'd rather not just come out and lead with that because of your workplace. You don't want people making fun of you. You don't want to be that guy, you know, the one that they talk about around the water cooler, the one that they make fun of. And there we are, pursuing comfort, avoiding conflict. I'm going to show you two cycles, and I want you to think which one most represents your life. The first one looks like this. This would be what culture says. Above all else, we're going to pursue comfort because we want to be happy. And so when we pursue comfort, then that forces us in many ways to avoid opposition. I don't want to upset anybody. I don't want to make anybody mad. You know, I just want to have a good day, nice day, a blessed day. But the problem is when we avoid opposition, our faith, you know, it just seems to weaken. We're not standing for anything. We're not passionate about much. We don't give ourselves a chance to get excited about what God has done or is doing in our lives. And our faith, for some reason, we just don't feel so close to God. And when we wake up one day and we feel very, very empty, life just seems empty. There's, there's got to be more, right? So what do I do? I'm going to pursue some comfort. Maybe that'll make me feel better. I'm going to pursue comfort and maybe, maybe this thing or that place or this many likes or that relationship, whatever it is, Maybe that will fill my empty void. Pursue comfort. Avoid anything difficult. What? Well, why don't I feel close to Christ? I need to have something else. Then that's going to make me happy. But there's another way to live. But let me warn you, you have to be different. And the only way you, re you really live like this is when you recognize that you are a foreigner in this world. You're a stranger. You're a pilgrim. You're a sojourner. These are the words that Peter used. You're just passing through. You don't live like they do because you're not from here. But actually, you come from a heavenly kingdom. And you serve a king that is not from this world. And his standards are very different. He teaches you to love when people hate. He teaches you to give even when people take advantage of you. And he teaches you to turn the other cheek. He asks you to evaluate your situation by asking, what does love require of me right here, right now? His teachings are radical and, and completely different. And there's a totally different cycle that looks like this. When you are living boldly for Christ, standing up, sharing him, expressing his love, suddenly when you live boldly, guess what happens? You do face opposition. The most encouraging message you didn't want to hear. Why? Because you're in the game, right? You're making a difference. But the strange thing is that when you face opposition, your faith tends to strengthen. There's something about it when you're living by faith, when you're on the edge, when you're comfortably uncomfortable, meaning that you're living by faith and no longer by sight. Then one day, you wake up and realize, oh my gosh. I'm so much closer to Christ. How did this happen? Where did it come from? But his word is alive to me. 
He's guiding me daily. And suddenly you find yourself living even more boldly than ever before. Now ask yourself, which cycle best represents your life? Have you been seeking comfort, avoiding any kind of resistance, not really close to Jesus, empty life, pursuing comfort? Or instead, were you living boldly? Were you facing some sort of opposition, not generating it, facing opposition as it arose? Were you going through and realizing, I am growing closer to Christ because of my obedience? Have you been in earnest pursuit of Jesus? Has it stirred you even more to live out your faith, to share your faith? Which one would you say best represents your life in the last two months or so? No one else gets your answer, okay? Just answer this for yourself. When you're different from this world, they will not always like you. But these trials will make you partners with Christ. So for, in 1 Peter 4.19, we can find some encouragement. So if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to God who created you, for He will never fail you. Keep on doing what is right. And trust your lives to the God who created you because He will never, ever fail you. Your suffering is not what is pleasing to God. What you do in the midst of suffering can become pleasing to God. And everyone's going to suffer. Everyone. What you do in it, that's the personal part. That's the choice part. None of us go looking for suffering. Suffering finds us. And we will be given opportunity to suffer. Now, in the midst of that opportunity, we can draw closer to Jesus, lean into our faith, practice trusting God when those lights go out, or we can blame God, become angry with people around us, pull back from God and people, and allow ourselves to suffer and then to inflict secondary damage by breaking our relationships and denying the potential support from both God and people. So here's a principle that I try to live by. And I don't always get it right, okay? But I pray that this speaks to someone who's listening. The principle is this. In every area of your life, so in your family, in your finances, in your relationships, in your work life, whenever you're peer pressured, any area of your life, do what's right and trust God with the results. This, I hope, is going to speak to someone. What do you do? How do you live? We, as Jesus followers, we don't cut corners. We don't take shortcuts. We don't try to think what will get us to the end faster, more efficiently, and more profitably. We do what's right, and we trust God with the results. We do what's right in our relationships, and we trust God. If we have to have a hard conversation, then we have a hard conversation. If we have to confess something, well, then we confess something. If we have to stand up and say, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm just not going to do that, even though it may cost me. As Jesus followers, we do what is right, and we trust God with the results, with the long-term outcome. So as long as you're suffering for doing something good, keep on doing that, and trust God, who will never, ever fail you. And if you are like this world, the world will tolerate you as its own, and you probably won't be persecuted. I mean, you'll face adversity, but that's not persecution for your faith. 
If you're following Jesus, you are going to be different than this world. If you follow Jesus, you are going to behave as if you are living in the upside-down kingdom of God. You will no longer behave as if you are part of the kingdoms of this world. So you won't raise your kids like the world. You won't use your money like this world. You'll have different morals from this world. You'll have different values from this world. You have different types of conversations from this world. You'll be different at work than this world. And if you are not like this world, guess what? The world will hate you at times. Is that fun? It's not fun at all. But the mysterious thing, the mystical thing is it does something to you and I recognize that I'm a follower of Christ and it builds some kind of boldness in you in it and it makes you different. And I have people sometimes ask me, it looks like persecution is coming more to our part of the world. Things could get worse over here. Does that ever scare you? And the answer is, no, not really. Prepare. Persecution doesn't hurt the church. It always strengthens the church. Persecution never, ever weakens faith. It causes our roots to grow deeper in the things that matter. It also exposes a lack of faith. Which side best represents you? Be really, really honest. No one else is going to know. But we're going to talk about this in our Thursday Night Live Zoom group. You can join us if you'd like. Are you like most people where life is about your comfort? What can I get? Avoid opposition. Faith is weaker. Life is empty. And so you're on this continual pursuit of something that's going to matter. Something's going to make a difference. Something that will make me happy. Or are you one that has died to yourself and Christ is living boldly through you And sure, you face some opposition, but your faith is strong and you're closer to Christ than you've ever been before and it continues to build your faith. Which one best represents you? This is what Peter says, and I love the fact that he's speaking to people that are really, really grieving in persecution. And then watch what he says, verse 5. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Six, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, He will lift you up in honor. Seven, give your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. Just pause for a moment. Recognize that there are a lot of people that are hurting right now. There's so much pain in this world. This is what Peter said. And he was saying it to people whose lives were actually at risk. He said, give your cares. Another version would say, cast your cares. The word in the Greek is literally the fishing term. Like the fishermen would would cast their nets on the water. Cast your cares on God. Why? Because he cares for you. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. And if you're living different, if you're being bold for Christ, you may face spiritual opposition. It may come in the form of persecution. It may arrive in some other way. But then what do you do? You let it build your trust. You cast your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. And then Peter is finishing the letter. It's so beautiful, so comforting. Not ignoring what is happening, but placing it in this larger framework. Verse 10, he says, So after you've suffered a little while, this is what our God will do. For those of you that are suffering, after you've suffered for a little while, our God will restore and support and he will strengthen you and he will place you on a firm foundation 
Verse 11, all power to him forever. Hear the word of God. After you've suffered for a little while, just because you're suffering doesn't mean you're not following Christ. The fact that you're suffering may be a direct indication that you are in the game and there is spiritual opposition. His strength is made perfect and he will put you on a firm foundation, the rock of his son, Jesus. And if you continue to do what's right and you trust him, you will see the faithfulness of God. He will reveal himself to you. He will never fail you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. This is our God. He is good. He is worthy of praise. He is worthy of honor. And that's why we don't serve the customs of this world because we are set apart. God has called you to be different, to be holy as He is holy. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your goodness. Empower us to live boldly for Your Son, Jesus. It's so easy to slip into busy, normal life. We let our eyes slip from being up and on you to being down and on all the things that are, surround us on a daily basis. Now, are, are there those of you who, who say, I, I've, I've been too comfortable. I, I just let myself slip into comfort mode. Do you want to live more boldly? I'm convicted by God's word and God's spirit. I'm living too comfortably. I want to live more boldly, so bring it on. I refuse to just be on the bench. I choose to be in the game. I'm going to be on the front lines. I'm going to serve through my church and at my church. I'm given generously. I want to be obedient to the voice of God. I want to hear those promptings. I want to respond to those nudges. And I'm not going to watch or just watch and analyze the play of others anymore. I'm a follower of Jesus. Lord Jesus, Lord of my life, help me live more boldly. And Father, I pray today that you stir us up. God, stir us up. Holy Spirit, fall upon your church that we would become obedient. We would trust you with the outcome, realizing obedience is our responsibility. God, empower us to do what is right and to trust you with the results. And if we're laughed at, if we're persecuted, help us to continue to show the love of Jesus, to let the light shine in the darkness. May my town be better as you shine through me. May my home be better as you shine through me. Make my workplace better as you shine through me. Stir us up, God, that we would live bold lives characterized by your new covenant command for us to love one another just like you have loved Thank you for your presence with us, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your empowering Holy Spirit. Thank you for your acceptance and love, Heavenly Father. Thank you. Amen.